Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. COVID calamity India reports 1 million new cases in just the last three days. Growth gains, the U.S. recovery strengthens and chip crunch. Apple, the latest tech firm to warn shortages, will bite. It's Thursday. Let's make a move. Well, welcome once again to First Move. Great to be with you as always. It's a day when the stimulators in chief are well and truly front and centre. Yes, I'm talking US President Joe Biden and Fed Chair Jerome Powell delivering powerful messages. America is recovering, but the work isn't over yet. President Biden's plans include six trillion dollars in spending that, including a new $1.8 trillion plan he proposed to Congress last night to shore up education, childcare and paid leave. Fed Chair Jay Powell, meanwhile, no slouch on stimulus either, a more positive tone on the economy, but mm, tone deaf to criticism that it's time to discuss tapering some of that support. And on that note, just out, U.S. GDP data showing a rise of 6.4 percent on an annual basis, stronger than Q4 gains of 4 percent plus, a touch shy, in fact, of expectations. And that says something. Strong data, stronger stimulus and potent profits from tech giants Facebook and Apple are the pre-market drivers. And as you can see, Wall Street heading for gains across the board as a result. Europe also basking in a warm earnings glow, oil majors Total and Shell beating expectations. Nokia shares surging some 14% in the session today on strong 5G sales. And you can see Asia by and large seeing gains too. Positive progress in so many parts of the world to point to, but no one can rest easy until the entire world can. And right now, the life and death struggle continues in India. And that's where we begin today's drivers. The coronavirus crisis in India reaching new levels of horror. Official figures indicate over 18 million cases so far. Just on Thursday, the health ministry said there were nearly 380,000 new cases. 3,645 more people had lost their lives. The true numbers, though, are believed to be much, much higher. Sam Kiley joins us now from a crematorium in New Delhi. And I want to warn you that some viewers might find his report now disturbing. Sam, good to have you with us. You're at a crematorium that I believe is currently working day and night to cremate those who've lost their lives. Some horrific scenes, I think, that you're seeing there. Yeah, Julia, your uh, sound to you is breaking up a bit. So I'm just going to tell you where I am, which is I'm at a crematorium that has been dealing with around 150 people, dead people, on these pyres uh, every day. Just in this area here, which is a a section that has been added on using waste ground to the normal crematorium to cope with the scale 
of the cremations that are going on. There are <coughs> 29 uh, bodies either being burnt or about to be burnt. Now, this is a particularly tragic illustration of the failure, frankly, of Prime Minister Modi's BJP, the Hindu Nationalist Party that has been ruling this country since he's romped to election victory two years ago. But earlier this year, he decided and his party decided to campaign aggressively in local elections rather than continue with the isolation policies that they had been following, which also were crippling the economy, <coughs> and, and to allow Hindu uh, gatherings, particularly the, particularly the Kumbh Mela at the Ganges, where many tens of thousands, indeed millions of people, were cheek by jowl. These super spreader events have resulted in this a vision, frankly, that speaks for itself. But it is an absolutely tragic example of people putting, politicians putting the future of their political parties ahead of their own people. This is the consequence, whatever the figures are, of a collapse of the public health system, Julia, in a country with a space programme, in a country that is seen as one of the great hubs around the world of technological innovation and uh, manufacture. But the reality is that it has not got enough oxygen. It doesn't have enough places for beds. There is a massive international effort now being made to get particularly the capacity for improving oxygen delivery to patients into India. There's $100 million worth of aid coming from the United States. Uh, the United Kingdom was first out, out of the block with the oxygen concentrating machinery. The Indian Army's been unleashed. Singapore's made contributions. France, Germany, other countries in the EU are all weighing in, but they're plugging a gap that was left in public health by a government, Julia. Yeah, I was telling people that the pandemic was all but over and clearly wasn't. Sam, thank you for being there for us. You and your team, stay safe, please, and go and grab some water if you can hear me. Sam Kali in New Delhi there. Thank you for that. And later in the show, we'll hear what corporate India is doing in response. The CEO of payment services company Paytm joins us. OK, let's move on. Here in the United States, President Joe Biden making the case for his economic agenda in a speech to a joint session of Congress, including a new $1.8 trillion spending proposal called the American Families Plan. Autocrats think that democracy can't compete in the 21st century with autocracies because it takes too long to get consensus. To win that competition for the future, in my view, we also need to make a once-in-a-generation investment in our families and our children. Christy Romans joins us now. We've talked about it before. Big government's back, yeah. big spending's back, and we mean in really, really big size. And it's not a dirty word this time. You know, it's mm. been since the Reagan administration, the big government was, you know, get the government out of your life because they're going to mess things up. And you have Joe Biden, the president of the United States, seizing this moment, uh, this COVID moment, when government can help you with stimulus checks, right, and unemployment benefits and ways to save small businesses. And he's trying to pivot on that moment and say, we can seize this moment and we can fix inequities in the American system. We can invest in infrastructure. We can invest in our people power. We can get... Uh, universal pre-k and free community college for two years and we can do things to help our people that will make us stronger as a country and we can pay for that
that by taxing the rich and raising taxes again on corporations. And that is his message, that tilting the scales back to working Americans and that the beneficiaries of this big little government movement over the past 30 years, they're the ones who'll pay. And the question is, uh, some of the biggest taxpayers in the country, and um, they do pay perhaps an amount of tax and could add to the amount of tax they're paying. But I'm sure whether they're Democrats or Republicans now, they're, they're shuddering actually listening to, uh, to some of this talk. But the truth is, Christine, something has to give. You can't have people in this country that are working one, two, three jobs and still not being able to, to feed their families. The inequality in this country is built up over decades and something has to change. And he's layering a lot of things on top of that. You know, he's talking about pay. You know, obviously, you cannot raise a family on a, on a minimum wage job in this country. And the minimum wage is a, a federal bare moral minimum. Uh, he would like to raise that. He's done that for federal contractors, effectively raising the pay for 390,000 workers this week with the stroke of his, his pen. But it's not just how much people are paid. It's the supports around there. We know we've seen in this uh, recession, the coronavirus recession, we wiped out a generation of gains for women because women did not have the support structures for education, for child care, for elder care, right? He's got all of those things he's trying to wrap into this package so that you can encourage women back into the workforce with the kinds of, the kinds of supports they need uh, to get the economy moving. We also know that you could be facing... Some economists say labor shortages in the not-too-distant uh, future here. We know that in, in leisure and hospitality, there are lots of people who are retraining for other careers because of the pay and the stress and, quite frankly, in some cases, the attitude of people who aren't wearing masks at the moment, you know, in, in, in restaurants and, and the like. And so there could be some sectors of the economy that are actually going to start uh, having some labor shortages. If you have supports for working families, maybe that, that can ease the labor shortage potential that, down the road. Yeah, and you got a sense when Jay Powell was asked about this yesterday in that press conference, he was like, when I start talking about labor shortages, I want to see the wage rises that follow when you can't yeah. hire the right kind of staff. He's like, I'm waiting for that reaction. Very quickly, it was interesting in light of what we got with the growth numbers this morning, 6.4% annualized yeah. for the U.S. economy. Jay Powell holding the line. I'm not tapering no matter what's going on. Yeah, I mean, he's going to let this thing run so we're sure that it is a uh, so that we are sure that it is a recovery here and sustained. And giving, yeah. And giving, I guess, giving the American economy that leadership role in, in the rest of the world uh, on the way out of all of this. You know, I talked to Mohammed El Arian, who, you know, very well yesterday. He says he thinks that holding off on tapering is a mistake and, and being too afraid of a Wall Street reaction. We shouldn't be afraid of a Wall Street reaction for, you know, uh, for 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 thinking about tapering sometime here down the road. This is Look, you see last year on that, that's last year's GDP was awful, the worst since 1946. This year, you've got four, five, six, seven percent, some of the estimates are for the year. That is gargantuan gangbusters growth, but the Fed is standing pat. Yes. It's going to be an interesting few months. Christy sure Moments. <laughs> Thank you for that. OK, let's move on. Apple juiced the tech giant crushing revenue and profit expectations, fueled in part by a 65 percent rise in iPhone sales on the quarter shares, as you can imagine, are up pre-market. Paula Monica joins me now. Paul, it's tough to find a division that didn't do incredibly well here. Wherever you look across the board, Apple beat expectations. 
Exactly. This was a great quarter, Julia, for the company. You already noted the iPhone revenue surging once again as people upgrade to those 5G phones. But it isn't just the iPhones that uh, Apple is really uh, benefiting from. Uh, you know, they talked about Mac sales hitting a record. Remember, they used to make and uh, still make these computers. That's something that is obviously doing well for them. And then services, which ties into the whole iPhone ecosystem. You think of things like Apple TV Plus and Apple Music and Apple Arcade for gaming. They hit a record with their sales in services as well. And that is another unit that revenue grew dramatically. So Apple obviously you know, firing away on all cylinders. It's not just the iPhone that is the reason why this company is doing so well. And I want to talk about the new privacy measures at Apple as well, because much has been made of of what that's going to mean, not only for Apple, of course, and their desire to protect consumers' privacy. It just makes app it makes it harder for apps to track users and therefore advertisers, arguably, um, across the Internet. Facebook has said it would hurt them. Can you just explain why perhaps it would hurt them? Because, you know, I look at what we got from Facebook's earnings last night and you can't help but think, hey, you're going to be OK without it. Yeah, I mean, Facebook's revenues grew dramatically. The stock is up. Clearly, Facebook is not hurting in any sense of the word right now. But I think that the company is worried about this battle that they're having with Apple uh, with regards to privacy changes, the updates to the latest iOS that could hurt Facebook down the road if it makes it more difficult for Facebook to generate strong ad revenue because of these privacy changes that are being put into place. And I think here's what's telling. You look at Apple and you read their earnings release and you read the transcript of their conference call, they don't mention Facebook because they're talking about new iPhones, they're talking about Chinese consumer demand surging. Facebook mentioned Apple and iOS several times during the conference call. So this is a bigger problem for Facebook, obviously, than it is for Apple. And I think Facebook is going to have to work with its uh, advertising partners to figure out whether or not there are going to be any revenue hits and how they mitigate that. Yeah, because it it perhaps makes sense for advertisers to buy direct from Apple, buy the ad space direct from Apple rather than going to alternative users. So it will boost perhaps Apple's um, advertising revenues at the cost of some of the others. We shall see. Yeah, this used to be Apple versus Microsoft as the big tech battle in Silicon Valley. It now seems like it's Apple versus Facebook. Yes, competition hurts, but can be a good thing for the small businesses, especially that are trying to advertise and um, be seen. Hmm. Paul and Monica, thank you for that. All right, and as it blows, uh, it's re- and as its report. Forgive me. And as it reports the blower earnings, Apple also warns of a global chip shortage. The company expects revenue to be at three to four billion dollars less than what it could be in the current quarter because the chip shortage could dent iPad and Mac sales. But Apple's not alone. Many other global companies, including Ford and Samsung, are now facing the same problem. John Defterius has been looking at this with all the details and Ford, actually the latest and quite fascinating because this is a material hit, they're saying, to what they can do in terms of production and therefore their bottom line. Yeah, this is an economic hit, Julie. It's interesting that it has so many components. Number one, you have traditional manufacturing, if we still have that in the 21st century, competing now with the tech companies for supplies. And this, as a trend, as you know, for the last 20 years, is just-in-time manufacturing. 
The auto manufacturers have learned in that time frame to keep it as lean as possible, keep the inventories low, but that's not for the pandemic environment. It's coming back to snap back and hit their uh, earnings, as you suggested, for Ford. Uh, in fact, what happened is that the demand, because of the economic growth and all the stimulus, jumped up in the fourth quarter of last year. They didn't have the product. Now they're trying to jumpstart the product, and they're short of chips to do so. So Ford's saying this could cost them $2.5 billion of EBIT in the second half of the year. 10% of their supplies are 1.1 million units. And we're starting to hear this from the other manufacturers as well, who are starting to shut down manufacturing as of tomorrow. That's the case of BMW Mini for up to four days, another five days if you think about it with the bank holiday weekend. Uh, We have Honda in the month of May shutting three factories for six days in Japan, and a similar tale for VW as well. And Julia, the other interesting number here, we've become so addicted to smart devices, quite extraordinary. 169 industries dependent on chips. And then you have to bring the question forward, China controlling a lot of manufacturing, the rare earth materials that go into chips as well. Uh, These are challenges that are gonna stay with us perhaps to the end of this year, even spilling into 2022. Yeah, we've talked a lot about chips on this show as well. And of the highest tech chips, South Korea and Taiwan completely corner the market. And to your point as well, this is not just about automakers. Apple also warned about this. Samsung also saying it's going to have an impact on their business, too. Yeah, Samsung saying that we can't get our, our manufacturing chips up. Our customers, this is interesting here, will suffer. And then LCD manufacturing will be uh, slower than expected. So not meeting the demand of the 6.4% growth we're seeing in the United States right now. And, and we saw with Apple, with the surge of 65%, 75% for their products right now, they're saying it's a 3 to $4 billion hit. But something, again, that's going to spill into the June quarter uh, as a result of it uh, as well. So that's uh, certainly something that's going to pose uh, challenges. And then you say 6.4% for growth in the United States. What's the longer-term impact, Julia? We're looking at GDP hit, according to Goldman Sachs, by a half a percent to 1% based on chips alone. So if you have the manufacturers of automobiles that need 5% of their overall industry GDP spent on chips, it does filter to the overall outlook for growth going forward as well. I don't think it's going to go well into the second quarter of 2022, but many of the people who are reporting earnings right now are suggesting, yes, Q1 2022, it will be a problem that stays with us. Yeah, it's here for uh, several months more at the very least. John Defterius, thank you so much for that. Mm. Okay, these are the stories making headlines around the world. A gaunt Alexei Navalny tore into Russian President Vladimir Putin when he appeared by video link in an appeal court hearing. In his first public appearance since he ended a hunger strike in prison, he likened President Putin to the, a naked king in the emperor's new clothes. Navalny is serving more than two years for parole violations. In Turkey, shoppers and travellers are bracing for a national lockdown to curb the spread of COVID-19. The stay-at-home order starts in a few hours and will last for more, little more than two weeks. Turkey has the highest rate of coronavirus infections in Europe. China says it successfully launched the core module of its own space station. It's the first part of Beijing's push to establish a permanent presence in space and a potential rival to the International Space Station. Chinese officials expect it to be up and running by the end of next year. Okay, coming up on First Move, we've heard from the president and we've heard from Powell. We'll look at the direction the head of the Fed is taking when it comes to the recovery. And can Apple do no wrong? Blow out tech earnings in focus. More analysis later in the show.
Welcome back to First Move. President Biden said his address to Congress last night that America is on the move again. Fed Chair Jay Powell repeated his pledge to keep massive stimulus flowing yet again. And blowout numbers from Apple and Facebook are wowing tech investors once again. And once again, signs of a post-lockdown surge in U.S. economic activity too. First quarter GDP rising at a 6.4% annualized rate. Evidence perhaps that both stimulus and science are doing their work. Fed Chair Jay Powell assuring us yesterday that the Fed will only remove support when it sees persistently strong data and they will continue to look through temporarily, quote, high inflation. Those pressures are likely to be temporary as they are associated with the reopening process. And an episode of one-time price increases as the economy reopens is not the same thing as and is not likely to lead to persistently higher year-over-year inflation into the future, inflation at levels that are not consistent with our goal of 2% inflation. The combination of all this is major averages set for a solidly higher open with record highs once again in sight. Matthew Lizetti joins us now. He's the chief U.S. economist at Deutsche Bank. Matthew, great to have you on. Lots to discuss, clearly. I just want to get your take first on the GDP numbers this morning. I've regularly seen people talking about a booming U.S. economy. Accurate? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I, I think the GDP report this morning uh, is kind of the front end of the very strong data that we're anticipating. It was right in line with our own expectations. The, the consumer saw growth uh, more than 10% annualized, helped by, helped by those stimulus checks. And I think importantly, you did actually see a big inventory drawdown. It subtracted more than two and a half percentage points. So going forward, we expect even stronger growth. Uh, prior to this report this morning, we had penciled in above 9% growth in Q2. And I think we're really on track for that, certainly given the stimulus and the reopening that is happening. I mean, Jay Powell acknowledged a more positive tone as far as the U.S. economic recovery is concerned. But, you know, he stands pat on reducing any stimulus, even having the discussion within the Fed about it. Is this the right move at the right time? I think it is. You know, I I think Chair Powell has drawn this very key distinction between the Fed is looking at realized data and wants to see this substantial further progress in the realized data versus a forecast, which at this point we in the Fed have a very strong forecast. And they're also focused, I think, on the big gaps that we still have. He, he noted a number of times yesterday, we still have 8.4 million jobs shortfall relative to where we were pre-COVID. Broader measures of the labor market uh, unemployment rate uh, would suggest that it's even higher than 6%. So there still is a very long way to go, even if we do have a string of, of strong data over the coming months. Even if he finds that balance, and to your point, you think it's the correct balance, it's not going to stop investors pushing. Even with that, are you expecting to see an ongoing push higher in, in U.S. interest rates. We're seeing it around the globe. We are. You know, we, in the coming months, we expect to see strong inflation data, uh, a very sharp rise in the year-over-year inflation rates. You know, headline CPI could get up to 3.8% on, on our wow. forecast. Some of that is base effects, uh, but it, some of it is the, these bottlenecks that Chair Powell has talked about. Uh, and I think you're going to couple that with very strong jobs reports. You know, jobs numbers in the, the millions uh, you know, above a million over the coming months would not at all be surprising. Uh, and we expect the Fed to, to start about t- talk about tapering in the second half of this year uh, towards the end of the summer. I think the interesting thing from a market perspective is all of this is expected from, you know, investors, interest rate investors. They've expected higher rates and steeper curves. And so the question has been, what type of surprise do you need for the next catalyst higher? What about stock market investors, though, to your point, if we start to have the conversation that we're at least starting the conversation about tapering by the middle to end of the summer? Reasonable, particularly in the face of 
what President Biden was talking about last night with yet more stimulus, assuming he can get even just a chunk of it done. Yeah, I know whether or not we'll be talking about talking about tapering, I think, was the question yesterday. Um, (laughs) And I I think, you know, stock market investors are looking at a very strong growth environment as well. But I think that they're also focused on, you know, the second derivative is growth picking up or picking or, or decelerating. And on our forecast, Q2 is the peak in growth. And, and we think in a lot of these survey indicators, you probably will um, see a peak in you know, the ISM manufacturing index and, and a lot of those indicators over the coming months. So if that's true, uh, that growth is you know, still very strong but decelerating uh, at a time where the Fed is sounding a little bit more hawkish, you know, at least starting the process of, of talking about tapering, that, that may lead to some bumpiness, I think, in, in, stock, in the stock market in the second half of the year. There are these big cross currents that, that the market is facing. Uh, you know, very, certainly very strong growth, but at the same time, the Fed may be taking their foot off their pedal a little bit. What are you saying to investors about the prospect of labour shortages? To, to your earlier point, we are still down eight and a half million jobs since the pandemic began, and yet the conversation is building about labour shortages. And Jay Powell made a very reasonable comment. Hey, let's look for some wage rises as well, if indeed there is a labour shortage out there, and that will benefit the workers in this country. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting question. We are, you know, eight and a half million jobs short. We've seen the labor force actually decline by five million relative to the pre-COVID uh, era. And so, given those numbers, you'd be really surprised to see some of these survey indicators where we're going out and asking businesses, and and they're telling you that it's actually hard to find workers and and skilled workers at this point. Um, I, I think Chair Powell laid out a number of reasons for that. There's probably some skill mismatch. There may be geographical mismatch. Uh, we still don't have everybody back in school, so uh, you know, parents, uh, some like myself, have to have to stay home. Um, you have uh, also that that people are still afraid. I think uh, from the virus perspective, so I think it will take some time to get past a lot of these. You know, what Chair Powell was calling bottlenecks in the labor market. Ultimately, I think we will get through those uh, towards the end of this year and into next year, and that should allow for a, a big supply of labor coming in, uh, which in our mind does help to keep inflation pressures in check and does have this inflation, turn this inflation bump in the coming months into a transitory story. Yeah. Matthew, great to get your perspective this morning. Thank you so much. Um, Matthew Lozetti there, the chief US economist at Deutsche Bank. Stay with us. The market opens next. We're back after this. Welcome back to First Move. US stocks are up and running this Thursday and we're seeing Wall Street at fresh Record highs as investors react to a torrent of news today. Blunt tech earnings from Facebook and Apple. Twin pledges of stimulus support from President Joe Biden and Fed Chair Jay Powell, as well as fresh signs of a post-lockdown surge in U.S. economic activity. First quarter GDP numbers coming in at an annualized rate of 6.4 percent. And new evidence, too, that the U.S. jobs market is also on the mend. 553,000 new jobless claims recorded last week. Another pre-pandemic low and the third straight week below 600,000 claims. So as I mentioned, two tech giants riding high after their latest results, both Apple and Facebook shares of those two opening higher after both reporting sales that blew past expectations. Wow, Facebook up some 7%. Both also, as we mentioned earlier, locked in a data privacy battle. Apple introducing settings that ask users for permission to track their activities. Suffice it to say, Facebook is not happy about those changes and made that very clear. Ivan Feinseth is the Chief Investment Officer and Director of Research at Tigris Financial Partners. Great to have you with us, Ivan. Let's talk about 
Apple first, because I look across the board here, whether it's the bump up in sales, whether it's the fact that they increased their share buybacks, the dividend raise as well. It's very little for investors to be upset about. What do you make of the numbers? It was a great quarter, mm. great announcements. Uh, they raised the buyback to 90 million from last year's 50 billion, I'm sorry, 90 billion from last year's 50 billion, consistently raises the dividend. And it just shows the strength of their product line, the strength of the brand equity, and the strength of the consumer. And they are benefiting from this 5G upgrade super cycle for the iPhone, which for Apple has a tremendous halo effect that spreads throughout their ecosystem, driving consumers to purchase other Apple products and services. Any shorter term concerns about the chip shortages? It was something that the CFO mentioned on the call and said, look, it is going to have an impact on the numbers. But when you're talking about multi-billions in terms of uh, the, the revenues and sales that they're creating all over the world, um, it's tough to get some perspective on that. Anything to worry about? Well, you always have to plan uh, for and highlight concerns that could, you know, be a problem later on. Um, the pandemic, every, all the CEOs are still highlighting that there's still uncertainty around the pandemic and around pandemic-driven breaks in supply chains that we've experienced over the past year and this global chip shortage. But it's a global chip shortage because of consumer demand for electronics is so mm -hmm. strong. And for and, uh, the, the 5G rollout for server and uh, data center upgrades. So overall, the backdrop of the strength of this demand cycle is very powerful, and eventually production will increase to meet demand. So I think Apple also manages their supply chain very well and books uh, purchases well in advance so that they have uh, uh, ample supply in their supply chain. So I, I don't for seeing it being a significant problem. It may be, have caused spotty outages in certain product lines or, you know, see, Apple also experiences stronger demand in the more expensive iPhones than the less expensive ones. And that, which is also uh, a, a positive to me. Speaking of expensive, what do you think in terms of the stock here? What's advice to investors on Apple stock? Oh, I think it's got a lot more upside. It's still a cheap stock when you back out the value of the cash. You add the fact that they continue to raise dividends, continue to increase buybacks, and, and they could really even buy back significantly more. They're, they're usually pretty conservative, even though a $90 billion buyback is uh, a record number and a very powerful number. So I think Apple is in the beginning of this major 5G supercycle iPhone upgrade, which, as I said, has a huge halo effect to drive sales of other products. So I think Apple has a long way to go. OK, let's flip to Facebook then, and I mentioned the data privacy concerns. Apple doesn't really talk about it. Facebook says, look, we could have a problem here with perhaps advertisers going direct to Apple rather than coming to them. Again, how material? Can you give us any sense? Are you coming up with any estimates of, of how damaging perhaps this could be to Facebook's monster advertising revenues? Let's be clear. It's a concern. It is an issue. Privacy is becoming a tremendous issue, both financially and economically. Politically. But <clears throat> what consistently shows is that even during when there was a call for boycotting Facebook, uh, advertising revenue still increased, user engagement still increased, membership still grew. So uh, I think pandemic habits of connecting with friends and family, shopping and uh, spending time engaged on Facebook will continue long after the pandemic is over. So I think they have a tremendous tailwind. There's concerns for privacy, but um, 
people still will engage on Facebook and advertising revenue and advertisers continue to get their best return on in, in advertising invested dollar on a place like Facebook. And they're going to continue to increase their allocation to digital advertising, especially on Facebook, because that's where the people are. Yeah, you've got to remember the granularity of the advertisers as well. It's small businesses. And when you're looking at this number of eyeballs on Facebook, that's where you go, irrespective of the, um, of the concerns. Ivan, super quickly, because I have about 20 seconds. Again, opportunity in this stock in terms of price, Facebook? Absolutely. Facebook mm -hmm. goes a lot higher. It, it is up a lot. And if you don't own it, you buy a little here and wait to add on pullbacks. But I think Facebook, both Facebook, Apple and the tech sector, I'm also looking for very strong results. And even a possible stock split from Amazon t tonight out after the Ooh, close. How exciting. Okay. Ivan Feinstein, Tigris Financial Partners. We shall watch out for that. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank okay. You. After the break, tackling India's oxygen shortage in the midst of a crippling COVID wave. The CEO of Paytm on corporate India's response. Stay with us. Uh, the situation de uh, there is dire and uh, it's been heartbreaking to see. And I think there are uh, the worst is uh, yet to come. The Alphabet CEO's grim assessment at the appalling COVID wave that's killing so many in India at this moment. As U.S. tech firms respond with aid and expertise, India's e-commerce giant Paytm is also stepping up by importing much needed oxygen concentrators with a donation drive to raise money for more. The company rapidly expanding help beyond its own employees to anyone who asks for help. PTM is an e-commerce payment system and fintech giant. And Vijay Shekhar is founder and CEO of PTM, and he joins us now. Vijay, it's great to uh, have you with us. I know you're incredibly busy. I think the world is watching and, and praying for what's going on there and uh, for your welfare. Talk to me first about who you and your, your workers are doing. Thank you, Judah, for having me here. And like you said, this is a very grim moment for everyone here. Uh, from earlier, assuming that COVID was nearby, now literally every teammate has one or two COVID patients in their house. So we right now are not only uh, working in home, but we are also taking care of near and dear ones around us who are COVID patients. And the situation is so horribly bad that oxygen concentrators, which is sort of a precursor for an oxygen ventilator, because you cannot go to hospital or hospital does not have a bed. So these oxygen concentrators can be put on a patient till the time period the oxygen levels are lower or up to a level that oxygen concentrator can take care. And those are also in short supply. We are importing them. We are trying to buy from as many countries of them. Like you said, we started first as a help for our employees, then we went out to find out that there are so many people who need it. And finally, we are now in a full-blown donation collections drive and then matching those donations with our support. So we have raised about $2 million as of now, more than $2 million. And we are expecting tens of thousands of oxygen concentrated to be purchased and donated to the different, different kind of hospitals, families, or uh, resident welfare associations in different, different cities. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible steps that, you, that you're taking. I know you set up a, a donations page. As you said, you're matching those donations. You also set up a page for people that can simply ask for help and say, look, we, we need the support. Vijay, just can you give us a sense of when those supplies will get there and, and where you're actually sourcing them from? 
Well, in fact, one of the toughest thing is that uh, when we are trying to source them from, they more or less come all the way from China, and uh, China is going through its labor break from 1st May to the 5th May, and then we go to other countries, and then a little bit of number there. So we're sourcing from all neighboring countries, and uh, I can say that the first lot is expected around uh, after the end of first week of May. And we are expecting that airlift them. And then quickly, government has done a little bit of support there that they have removed the custom uh, duties and other taxes that uh, you have to put on oxygen equipment. So we are expecting effectively, net effectively, it will be out to uh, uh, use on a, around 10th of May here. Okay, I mean, every day, every hour matters at this moment. Vijay, you mentioned the local government there reducing some of the import restrictions. Are you working hand in hand with the local government? And, and what's your take on, on the national government's response here too? Because there are a lot of people that are looking at the situation saying, you shouldn't be having to do this. You shouldn't be having to make these instant life and death decisions to provide people with oxygen because India should have been better prepared. Uh, there's no doubt about it that all of us in India, from government to the uh, citizens to doctors to scientists to everyone, sort of misunderstood what this wave could have been, what how fatal it could have been. And uh, we probably should have done it much, much, much better. And I'm speaking on behalf of literally every citizen and every, every person in government who should have done a lot better. No doubt about it that this is a moment of truth where we are doing what we are not expected to do, but it is sort of... Uh, citizen coming together, people coming together and trying to do as much they can do. Uh, we do not have a clue what kind of oxygen uh, concentrator we need to buy. There are medical specifications. There are uh, deployment procedures. We are trying to uh, work with friends and family who know some doctor. Doctor is verifying. Then we are asking some government aid that can you confirm this is good. So it's sort of everybody is joining hands together movement here. But like you said, the every day is so tough to go by that uh, oxygen slender, cryogenic oxygen for hospital, hospital beds, and pre-oxygen slender, there are so much of medicines. Nearly everything is in a low supply here, I can say. Or we are seeing, we, we hope that worse is um, not crazier than what it is today, but it is expected that the peak could be somewhere around 10 to 15th of May. And by that time, we would have got a lot of equipment that we are seeking here. Are you frightened, Vijay, by what that means? I mean, you're, you're a leader of a company, you're trying to help people, you're trying to help their families, but are you frightened about what the next week, the next two weeks, if we're still not yet at peak and it looks that way, will mean? Yeah, no doubt about it. I, 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 feel, I feel pained. I feel, I feel pained what we all are going through. Yeah. I hope that next week does not bring and make it harsher and harder for us to survive because it's it's the, the bad part is that it is hurting younger people it is hurting people around us and it is sort of for the first time it is an urban phenomena here near and dear ones are all victimized literally living is thriving that is the moment and you're scared that i don't know how will it happen or not vaccination drive has started that also is going to start from uh, for young people like us from 1st of May, and the demand is so large, the supply is not there. I see that different countries are talking and helping us. We are literally a billion load on capacities that were built for a few million. I know. Vijay, if people are watching this, you're asking for donations. Your message to those people, 
your request for help, please? I think if you are an Indian or well-wisher of India, you should come out all the way with everything and anything that you can bring to us. Obviously, there's no doubt about it that there is a supply needed for oxygen equipments, generation of vaccination, medicines, nearly everything matters. And it is in short supply, not because that we were thinking that it would be so harsh, but we found ourselves in the middle of this. Everyone who's who wants to see India as a thriving economy, please come forward and help us all. We look forward to your help. And I'm sure that we are a great ally, so we would be paying back as a good company and friend together. Thank you. Vijay, our hearts, my heart is with you. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and stay safe, please. And uh, we hope you. you get the support you need. Vijay Shekhar Sharma, their founder and CEO of Paytm. Okay, India isn't the only South Asian country suffering from a surge in COVID cases. Several of its neighbours are enforcing new lockdowns and strategies to try and avoid the devastation India is suffering, as Christy Lustout explores. Fueled in part by the devastating second wave burning through India, the number of global cases of COVID-19 has been on the rise for nine consecutive weeks. As you can see on this map of cumulative COVID-19 cases by Johns Hopkins University, India is not the only place in Asia hit hard. Cases are spiking in neighboring Nepal. The border city of Nepalganj has become a COVID-19 hotspot. Local lockdowns have been imposed in cities, including Kathmandu. And there have been reports that tourists at Mount Everest base camp were infected. But the Nepalese government has denied this. Other neighbors are not taking any chances. Pakistan has deployed the army in 16 cities to enforce pandemic safety protocols. Bangladesh has imposed a strict lockdown. On Monday, it sealed its border with India for 14 days. The trade will continue. Meanwhile, Sri Lanka is bracing for a third wave of infection. Local media report that all ICU beds and hospitals are full after Sri Lanka detected a new variant over the weekend. And starting Wednesday, schools across the country will close. Residents in designated areas are required to remain indoors, and a police curfew is in force. Indonesia is also battling one of the worst COVID-19 outbreaks in Asia, with over 1.65 million infections since the pandemic began. To prevent the spread of the new variant, Indonesia has stopped issuing visas for travelers who recently spent time in India. And this week, the Philippines logged its one millionth case of the virus, a grim new milestone as it struggles to boost healthcare capacity. About 16 months after the virus was first identified in China, the surrounding region is being ravaged again, and medical workers across Asia are struggling to push back the pandemic. Christy Liu Stout, CNN, Hong Kong. You're watching First Move. More to come. Welcome back to First Move. This week, CNN's Bianca Nabilo is looking at what post-pandemic transport may look like in a special series called Road to the Future. Today, the focus centres on the use of air filtration technology. Air pollution has long been a problem many have tried to solve. Airlabs, a UK-based company that specialises in clean air tech and air quality management, has developed a potentially groundbreaking technology known as Air Bubble. 
the air bubble technology is aimed at uh, uh, cleaning really a large volume of air. So we're talking about 30,000 liters an hour, which is really massive. The aim is really to process as much air as possible whilst having a product that is small enough to fit in the interior of vehicles, buses and, and, and trains. The technology that we use is actually very effective. So we are removing up to 95% of the pollutants and, and pathogens. We also remove gas pollutants and because at the moment the focus is on particulate matter and, and coronavirus. And what's the cost of owning and installing one of these devices? Who exactly are you targeting? Could I have one in my house, for example? Yes, you can. It's overall cost. Uh, it, it depends on yeah, do you buy it outright or do you basically take a subscription service where yeah, we provide it including uh, regular filter replacements. But if you think about public transport, yeah, you would be thinking maybe $20, $30 a month or so uh, as an operating cost. So uh, you probably talk about less than a dollar a day. Our mission is to play a leading role in reducing the exposure of people to air pollution. We are committed to continuing to develop technology that is on the one hand dealing with the evolving nature of air pollution, as well as making these technologies more energy efficient and producing less waste. Okay, and that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they will be on my Twitter and Instagram pages in the coming hours. You can search for at CNN. In the meantime, and I say it always, but I will continue to say it, stay safe, connect the world with Becky Anderson is next. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.